You can be seated this morning. Welcome to BCC. So glad that you are here. If it's your first time here or if perhaps it's been a while, whether you're here in the building or joining us online, my name is Derek Armstrong. I'm the senior pastor here at Bettendorf Christian Church, and we are so glad that you have chosen to come and worship and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ with us. I've been so excited to come on this Easter to be able to share with you this wonderful hope that we have and for us to get into the Word of God together. Before we do that, why don't we all pray together and then let's, let's uh, get into His Word. So Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity that we have on this Resurrection Sunday to be able to gather together, whether we're gathering in our homes or with family and friends or perhaps out in the cafe area or even here in the main sanctuary, Lord, we are so thankful. We are so grateful for the opportunity to gather and to hear your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit will just penetrate every heart and do the work that needs to be done in every one of us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, as we talk about the resurrection of Jesus, I think that it's appropriate for us to not only celebrate his resurrection, but for us to remember why the resurrection actually was necessary and what happened. And what brought us to this point is something that all of us face and all of us deal with at some point or another in our lives, and we don't like to talk about it. And it's a little weird maybe even to talk about it on Easter Sunday, but that's death. We have to understand the death of Christ in order to be able to fully appreciate and understand what took place and the resurrection on this Easter Sunday. All of us deal with death at a certain level. We've all experienced death from a friend or perhaps a loved one. And when we experience it, it doesn't seem fair. It feels like we lost. It feels like death somehow can claim victory and we just get left and there's this void and it feels weird. And we ask ourselves these questions when we walk through experiencing the death of someone that we cared about very much, we ask ourselves questions like, is, is this real? Like, why is this happening? This doesn't even feel like it's reality. It's such a strange feeling. And often attached to death is this feeling of, of hopelessness because we can't control that outcome anymore. We can't change it. It seems so final. And it seems like death always seems to win. And it makes us just feel like this isn't really fair. And oftentimes the enemy wants us to feel hopeless because the most hopeless situation you or, or I face in this life, it seems like, is death. But I don't mean death in the sense of just simply ceasing to exist here on planet Earth. I'm talking about a different kind of death. I'm talking about the way Scripture describes death in the book of Genesis when death is first mentioned. Uh, the reference to death there is not just talking about a ceasing to exist. No, it's talking about a separation from God, being separated from God for eternity. And it's far worse than just simply ceasing to exist on planet Earth. So what caused this death? What caused this eternal separation to happen in the first place? Because God created us for his glory and for fellowship with him and to worship and honor him and to serve him. And yet we see that this thing that caused death in the world is sin. And every one of us have been guilty of sin, no matter who you are. The scripture says in Romans 3, 23, that 
all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I'm going to give you a little bit of a Greek education here for some of you Bible scholars in the room to get excited. The Greek word for all translates as all. That means everyone. That means you. That means me. Oh, yeah, we're going deep this morning. It means everybody. That means you, me. It doesn't matter. It means, listen, your honor roll student that's gotten straight A's, yeah, has sinned. It means that the person that's tried their hardest to get everything right in life, it means the person who's been extremely generous, extremely benevolent, extremely kind, extremely selfless, it means them too. Even us on our best days, no matter how many people we fool, Scripture makes it clear, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the problem with this fact that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God means that we have all violated God's command and thus we are deserving of death because further on in reading Romans, Romans 6 and 23, Scripture says that the wages or the earning of sin is death. That's the consequence. That's the end result. And God is just. And for him to be just, just he can't let sin go unpunished and undealt with because if God let sin just go and he just turned a blind eye to it and said, oh, never mind about that sin thing, then he wouldn't be just. Much like if a judge here in our day and age were to let some sort of criminal go and just turn a blind eye, you would say that's not just. So sin has to be dealt with. Sin has to be punished. Now, there's a problem because scripture says that the earnings or the wages of sin is death, which means that we all have sinned and we're all deserving, according to scripture and God's standard, of death. And for God to be just, he has to punish that sin. But here's the good news or the gospel that Jesus Christ took the penalty in our place for our sin, and he died the death that you and I deserved. Amen? That is the beauty of the gospel, is that you had nothing to do with it. I, I love it. Jonathan Edwards was quoted as saying that the only thing we contributed to our salvation was the sin that made it necessary. <laughs> because you and I are powerless to save ourselves, but it doesn't stop us from trying. We try to make ourselves right in the eyes of God in our own strength, and even people who don't really care about serving God are still trying to fix this problem of sin. That's why people who will even claim atheism or who will claim to be agnostics are still trying to fix a broken world. They're trying to fix it with their own laws. They're trying to fix it with their own uh, powers and by electing the right people, creating the right policies, making the right programs. They're trying to feed the starving children. They're trying to save the wells. They're trying to save the trees. There's always something needing to be saved, right? Some endangered species. And we're trying to fix it because everyone, no matter if they believe in God or not, can admit that there is a problem and something is broken. But what they're missing is that we can't fix it even in our best efforts and with our best desire and our best programs and our best approaches. You see, Jesus is the one who fixed the problem because the problem is sin and sin ultimately leads to death. And if death 
is that finality, is that end, then Jesus not only overcame the wrongdoing that I've done, but he also overcame death as being man's final and greatest enemy. And we celebrate that victory today in Christ. Amen? Let's read this in the scripture. Matthew chapter 27. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. And if you brought your phone or your tablet or something like that, just rattle some paper around to make me think you're turning somewhere because I like the sound of paper in church. It makes me happy. Um, and so that's my only request as your senior pastor. I want to hear paper rattle. Okay, no. <laughs> that's not my only request. I got a list. But anyways, <laughs> Matthew 27, <laughs> forthcoming. Uh, Matthew 27, let's read about the death and the burial of Christ. In Romans, I mean Matthew chapter 27, verse 45, Scripture says this. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lema sakbaktani. That means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran, took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let's see whether Elijah is going to come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. There were also many women there, looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was a disciple of Jesus, and he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there, sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, While he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people. He has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go. Make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. The enemy used the biggest tool that causes fear in humanity to cause hopelessness in the followers of Jesus. And he still tries to use the same tactic. It's this idea of death because of the idea that is attached to death as being final, as being this is it. 
This is the grand finale. And people think, I, I have to do everything I can on this earth to, to make my life as comfortable as possible. And we pursue our comforts and we pursue everything we can to make our life easy here. And we don't want to go through difficulty. We don't want to go through challenges. And we certainly don't want to die. And so we try to avoid those things as much as possible. But yet here on this day, we see the disciples of Jesus faced with the death of the one they had been following. They had been hearing his teaching. They had been seeing his miracles. They had had so much hope that perhaps even he would perhaps overthrow the Romans and that the occupying Roman government would be uh, removed from their seat of power so that the Jewish people could flourish in their own homeland again. But now he's dead. The one who had done all these miracles, the one who we had seen his power, the one who had taught us, the one who fed 5,000 with the little boy's lunch, the one who raised Lazarus from the grave, and now he's dead. And not only is he dead, but he's placed in a tomb, and there's like this huge stone in front of it. And then to make matters worse, there's guards that are set in front of it just to make sure everyone feels the finality of the sting of death. And that's exactly what the enemy does in our lives. He wants us to feel like hope is gone. This is it. This is the end. And it causes us to be afraid or it causes us to maybe even do what some of the disciples did during those days that Christ was buried in the tomb. Some of them went back fishing. They just didn't know what else to do. Some of them were just sitting around mourning and feeling lost. But yet there was hope on the way. Let's keep reading. Matthew 28, verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. I think that's just like totally like awesome of that angel just sitting on that rock like a boss. Like the stone rolls away, just sitting there. Verse 3, his appearance was like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he is risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee there you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet. And they worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Now Christ is no longer sealed in this tomb. The tomb is empty. The stone has been rolled away. And the day that Christ rose from the dead was the day that death lost. The day Christ rose from the dead was not just the day that you and I could be forgiven of sin, was not just the day that he took our place, but it was the day that the effects of sin, the ultimate end game of sin, because remember, the wages of sin is death, that day that Christ rose from the grave, death 
lost. Death was put to death. Death was given a finality. Death, now all of a sudden, the one who seemed to claim victory all of these years because of man's sin, now it was over. Death has lost its sting and the grave has lost its victory because of Jesus Christ rising from the dead. This is the significance of both the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ because now you and I as disciples of Christ, we are to identify with Christ. We are to now, by faith, trust in the sufficiency of his sacrifice, but also we are to identify with him in death by dying to who we were before we knew Christ, dying to our old selfish ways, dying to the fact that we wanted to try to offset the scales of justice in our favor and trust instead of the sacrifice of another and instead trust that what Christ did was sufficient. Trust that he is the only way, the truth and the life and no man can come to God, no man can be reconciled, no man can be restored into right standing or righteousness in the eyes of God except through faith in what Christ has accomplished. And then as we die with him and as we are buried with him, we also are raised to new life with him as well. The resurrection of Jesus was proclamation of victory over the final enemy, you and I faith. So now we don't have to be afraid of death anymore. We don't have to fear death because for the Christian, death doesn't claim ultimate victory. Amen, church? You see, we now can walk full of faith, knowing that we can trust Jesus every step of the way, no matter what may try to come our way to intimidate us, to try to knock us out, or to try to get us to bow our knee to anything else, because we don't have to live in fear of death. I'm not suggesting you go and live recklessly and let's all go bungee jumping after church today. <laughs> I'm not suggesting we all go jump out of an airplane. I mean, if you want to do that, that's fine. But... It's not that we chance death, but it's I no longer live controlled by the fear of death. I still have to be a good steward. I still have to be wise with how I steward my physical body, and I want to make sure that I eat well, that I do you know, healthy regimens and healthy practices, but not out of fear. I think even people can try to be physically fit and eat healthy because they're afraid. I think people can live recklessly because they are afraid and they're afraid they're going to miss out on something. So I have to experience everything I can. I have to accumulate everything I can. I have to try to uh, accomplish all these goals because life is short and you only live once. And I know that no one says YOLO anymore and they never should have said it in the first place. But <laughs> this whole idea of I only live once, I've got to do as much as I can and get as much as I can, you know, done. And everyone feels like I'm just running out of time. That's because they're living in fear of death. And they're not trusting in Christ because to trust in Christ is to remove the sting of death and the victory that death once claimed on me. I am free. I don't have to live in fear of death. Jesus said it this way. He said, don't be afraid of what man can do to your body. He can kill the body, but he has no say-so over your soul. He has no eternity. He has no say-so over your eternity. Instead, I should live trusting in the sufficiency of what Christ has done through his victorious death, burial, and mighty resurrection that I now share in that with him. And we don't like to talk about this part, but during what Christ did for us, he went through a period of suffering, a period of difficulty, 
and he did it for you and for me. And scripture actually says we should count it all joy when we fall into different types of temptations and challenges because we're sharing in the sufferings of Christ. So sometimes life goes your way and things are easy. I like those times, right? I like when I file my taxes and I didn't know anything at all and I get a check back. Those are wonderful times. But there are times where there's also great difficulty as well and things aren't going your well, aren't going your way. Sometimes you can just go through life and, and things seem to be just clicking into place and we thank God for those times and we feel like we're blessed during those times. But can I tell you, God doesn't stop being good just because stuff gets tough? Mm, some of you don't believe that. You see, God's not defined by what we call good. God gets to define what is good, and sometimes God calls things good that you and I wouldn't call good. Uh, there are certain things that I go through that are not uh, very fun that I would still say are good, and I ask my children to do or require them to do, and they don't think those things are very fun. But they are good, and I know they're good for my children. Why? Because I have a different vantage point than my kids have, right? I've got a different understanding. You shouldn't eat that. You should not you know, do this. You shouldn't watch this much TV. They would call it good. A child would say, I want to eat as much candy as I want. They want to bust open 500 Easter eggs and eat all of the candy inside. And they would call that good. But they have a limited understanding. And I can see further down the road because I've been there where I've eaten too much candy and I know what follows, right? And so because I know that and I see that, I want better for them, so I limit them and I say no to them, and they say, well, that's not fair, that's not good, it's mine, I should be able to do what I want. And we get upset with God when all of a sudden things aren't going our way and we think all of a sudden God has ceased to be good. Folks, can I tell you, God cannot cease to be good. That's all he knows and that's all he does. And I know there's times where maybe you feel like you're going through a challenge and you're like, where is God? in the middle of it. Can I tell you that he's there because he never leaves you or forsakes you? Can I tell you that he's there even in the challenge that you're facing right now? So what should my attitude be as a follower of Jesus when difficulty arises? Well, it should be this. The same attitude that Christ took, the same position Christ took when he was being beaten, the same attitude he took when he was being falsely accused, same attitude he took when he was being betrayed, he kept loving and he kept suffering well unto the glory of God. So when I'm betrayed, when people falsely accuse me and misrepresent me, I can't go around and fix everything and make everybody do what I want and make everybody like me. My job would be a lot easier if I could. <laughs> but the fact is, is that you can't. And so I can't spend the rest of my life trying to please people. Instead, I have to say, Lord, I'm gonna please you first and foremost and do everything that I do unto the glory of God. And when I live my life that way, that means even when I go through challenges, Lord, help me to suffer well identifying with Christ. Help me to go through this challenge well, Lord, because I'm in the middle of a challenge or I'm facing great difficulty. Help me to do it well. Help me to deepen my trust in you through this because anybody can trust God when everything's going your way, right? Anyone can go God is good when things are going my way. It's when things start going a different way and they aren't going our way. Then where's my faith at? Is God still good? Am I still trusting in him? Because I, I want to identify with Christ through his death and die to myself. But I also want to identify with Christ and share in his sufferings as well. That's part of this journey. Because no matter how bad things get here for you, death has been put to death. Death 
the ultimate enemy, the thing that you and I were before Christ perhaps afraid of and looked at as a finality. Jesus Christ has put death to death and the day death lost was Easter Sunday. Amen, church? Amen, amen. Yeah, you can clap for Jesus on that. Let's go over to Romans chapter 6 and read a little bit more about this. Something you're going to learn about me. I like to read a lot of scripture because God can say it better than Derek. So let's let God's word speak. Amen? Amen. You're not going to hurt my feelings for amening on that, by the way. Uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 1. The apostle Paul wrote this to the church in Rome. He said this, What shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? He's saying we're sharing in that by being baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So he's talking about your spiritual condition here. He's talking about spiritually we were dead, we died to ourselves spiritually, we have been made new, made alive in our spirit in Christ. Verse 5, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him and we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So we are identifying now with him in that resurrection, also knowing that even our physical bodies are going to be raised, that death has no hold on the person who has put their faith in Christ. Uh, the, The apostle Paul says it this way in Galatians 2 and 20. He says that I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's now Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, he says, I'm living in the flesh, but I'm living it by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. So for the Christian, for the person who's put their faith and hope in Jesus, death has lost its sting and the grave has lost its victory because God promises his people that death is not the end. Death is not the end. There's this beautiful picture of this over in Ezekiel 37. This is the last scripture that we're going to read today. Ezekiel 37. God gives Ezekiel, the prophet, this vision of this valley of these dry bones, this picture of a great defeat, this picture of hopelessness, this picture of something that has happened that no one could fix. And God is about to show how he can take an impossible situation and do anything with. In Ezekiel 37, let's read, starting at verse 1, 
the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, Oh, Lord God, you know, which anytime God asks you a question, by the way, that's a great way to answer it. Oh, Lord, you know. And he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live and I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, a rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone and I looked and behold, there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, Our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. They're saying, this is, what, this is what God's people were saying when they were faced with this Babylonian captivity. And God is using Ezekiel to prophesy hope back into them. They thought this was the end. They thought it was over. We feel like we're just a valley of dry bones. We feel like we're hopeless, like there's nothing left. We've been defeated. Thus says the Lord, God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land, then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Now here we see that God is using Ezekiel to prophesy to people who were hopeless. Much like we see Christ rising from the dead to give hope to the hopeless, that death is no longer the end. And the rattle of the dry bones stirs hope in God's people because it means that God is taking what seemed like defeat. He's taking what seemed like the end and he's breathing new life into it. Those bones, they represent defeat an army that's seemingly conquered by death. Seems like it's over. Seems like there's no hope. But God breathed new life and caused these dry bones to live again. And I don't know what you came in here with today, what's on your mind, what baggage perhaps you brought, what your history is. Perhaps maybe you even come to church on Easter and you're just checking a box going, look God, I showed up and... I did my due diligence, but perhaps God had you tune in today online or show up here in the building today and there was something else in store for you because maybe you have felt hopeless. 
Maybe you've been like this valley of dry bones. Maybe you've been like those people weeping after Christ's death seemed final. Maybe you felt hopeless. You've been feeling lost. You've been feeling overwhelmed. And today is the day that God is going to take what looked like the end and breathe something new. Maybe to the place to where you become a follower of Jesus today by putting your faith and your trust in him. Maybe today for you, hope looks a little different because maybe you do trust in Christ, but perhaps you've become discouraged and you've been questioning, is God good? Because you've been suffering and you've been going through difficulty. I wanna tell you today, church, everything that you do, do it as unto the Lord because it doesn't matter how bad things get, how hopeless things get, death is not the end. What's the worst thing man can do to you? What's the worst thing your boss can do to you? What's the worst thing that could happen in that financial situation or in that health crisis you may be facing? Do whatever you're doing, whatever you're going through, whatever challenge, do it as unto the Lord. And remember, even though it seems like hope is lost, you are victorious if you have Christ because Christ is your hope. So this begins in trusting in Christ alone. It begins with you believing Jesus as the Son of God who died for you, who died for your sins, who overcame the problem that you and I created and caused and couldn't remedy and fix even on our best days. You see that sacrifice that Christ gave on the cross had the power to pay the penalty for sin. And this should cause us to recognize our sinfulness. It should cause us to be brought to a place of repentance. It should stir us to confess our need for Jesus. It should cause us to want to follow Christ. It should cause us to want to serve him. And not like this obligatory, I gotta serve him because some pastor or some person at a church wagged their finger at me, made me feel guilty, and so yeah, I'll volunteer in the kids program once a month. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this is a not I, I have to, this is a I get to. This is I get to, to follow Jesus. I get to serve him. And any sacrifice that is required of me, it's not something that, that I'm wanting to hold on to. No, it's Jesus. All I have is yours because you gave everything for me. It should cause us to be stirred with a desire to want to follow in the footsteps of Christ to be baptized, to proclaim and tell the whole world that Jesus is my King and I'm not ashamed, to tell the whole world that, that, that I have died with Christ and I've been buried with Christ and I've been raised to new life with Christ. And what was dead, what was cut off, what was once removed is now brought into right standing in the eyes of Almighty God and is made new again because I'm alive in Christ and he has set me free from the fear that once gripped me. He set me free from the sting of death. He set me free from the power that once enslaved me. I'm no longer a slave to that fear. Those dry bones are beginning to rattle. Those dry bones are beginning to come alive again. And I believe the Holy Spirit of God is working on hearts and moving in lives. In this room, online, wherever you may be, I believe God is working in hearts. What do I need to do? I need to respond. We're gonna celebrate here in just a moment someone who did respond and someone who said, yes, Jesus, I want you to be my king and I'm not ashamed to tell the whole world that I'm following you. And so we're gonna have a baptism here in just a moment and have someone actually 
profess their faith publicly here so we can celebrate with them. And maybe even perhaps today, there could be someone else in here. Maybe you didn't come planning on being baptized, but the Holy Spirit of God has been drawing you to that place. If that's you, then perhaps maybe today, we've, we've got stuff ready for you. We've got extra clothes. We've got towels. We've got stuff. Don't let anything get in the way. If perhaps today is the day that you want to also profess your faith in Christ. If, if you need someone to pray with you, if you need someone to be, well, we want to be available after the service to minister to you, to be able to sit down with you throughout the week and help you understand what it means to trust in Christ and to be supported by a family of believers. That's why Christ-centered community is so important and we need to be connected because the enemy would love to get you back into that mindset of fear. The enemy would love to get you into that mindset of hopelessness. But if you have Christ at the center and if you're trusting in him, then you have hope, you have new life, and you can have that life abundantly. Amen, church? Amen, amen. Yeah, let's celebrate him today. Amen. Amen.